people. Well, it's the final message in our Bounce Back Season series. And so I want to read uh, some scripture today found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 22, verse number 54. I don't typically read a lot of scripture at the beginning of my lesson, but I want to make sure we kind of wrap our head around um, the context of this text here in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 22, verse 54 says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, watch this now, watch this. Peter followed at a distance. And when there had when some had kindled there a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. He said, man, I'm not. Then an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I want to stop right there. I want to tag a title to this text. I want to talk from this subject, the final lesson in the Bounce Back series, Bounce Back Season series. Here it is. Get out of your way. Get out of your way. There's a reality that every human will have to wrestle with and win over if they're going to reach their redemptive potential. If a person is going to experience life as God intended, they will have to wrestle with and win over an emotion called regret. Regret, family, is a sense of sadness and disappointment over a season or a circumstance where you were the primary contributor to your own calamity. Don't miss this family. It's when if someone were to be arrested for a crime that was, that was inflicted upon us, the person we would have to point out to the police would be ourselves. It's when we were the perpetrator and the accomplice to the mishap of managing a season or missing an opportunity to the degree that we want to be mad at something or someone but we realize the only person I can be mad at is me. Regret an emotional response to a revelation that I just got in my own way. And if anybody 
is going to reach their redemptive potential they have to wrestle with and learn to win over regret. Because regret, family, listen to me, it's what's called amoral. It's not moral. It's not immoral. The morality of regret is dictated and determined by what you do with it. How it's used. It's not good or bad, holy or unholy. The morality of regret is based on whose hands it's in and how they use it. And God wants to use it for our education. He wants us to learn from it, heal from it, and move on. The enemy wants to use it to cause our stagnation. To revel in it, keep revisiting it, and stay stuck. The enemy, come here, wants to use regret in a way that it mutates and evolves into another emotion called guilt. And then guilt becomes a glue that keeps you stuck to seasons God has moved on from. I want somebody to talk back to me now. I I said the enemy wants us to mismanage regret so so that mismanaged regret mutates into guilt. Then guilt becomes a glue that keeps you stuck in a season God's moved on from. You are punishing yourself for a crime that God has expunged from your record. And the adversary understands that you cannot be the you you need to be in your future if you are still punishing yourself for the you you used to be in your past and I'm coming to somebody today that's watching this message and I want to tell you that this is your prison break this is your day where God's about to break you out of the jail that you've been serving a life sentence in because you've been stuck to a version of yourself that God has evolved you out of you see I mean I'm, I'm prayerful but but when I was praying for the service this morning I pray unique with a unique kind of fervency for me over the message because as I started revisiting what I was going to share today I began to I begin to think about what Paul told talked to the church at Ephesus about which was principalities. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? And he mentions principalities. And I also started thinking about what Paul told Timothy about, which was something called doctrines of devils, which produces principalities. Social norms, trends that you see in regions, in people groups, and in family structures. And I pray uniquely over this because I felt like this message is a bit different because this message, family, is an act of spiritual warfare. This is deliverance. Okay, come come here. Am I making sense? 
I said, when we, I think when we think about deliverance, we think about exorcisms. And when we think about deliverance, we think about habits being broken. When we think about deliverance, we think about yokes and fetters being destroyed as opposed to mindsets being altered. Because something, sometimes the only thing that has you stuck is not the enemy, it's the enemy. And if you can get out here, you can get out anywhere. If you can get out here, you can get out in your relationship. If you can get out here, you can get out professionally. People are often unable to bounce back and recover because they have a mindset, a thinking pattern that chronically causes them to revisit what you can't revise. It's a thinking pattern that causes people to keep revisiting what they cannot revise. So instead of using the revelation of regret as motivation to create a new future, the enemy uses the reality of regret to keep them turning their wheels in the past. And they live with verbiage that is the equivalent of should have, would have, could have, as opposed to the language of faith, which says God still can. Boy, if I was in a church, I tell I said instead of the language of faith that says God still can and I'm coming to somebody's living room somebody's phone somebody's television to tell you he still can yeah I know what you did but he still can and I know what didn't happen but he still can and I know how old you are right now but ask Sarah can he still do it in a whole season God still can. The regret mutates into an emotion called guilt that becomes a glue that keeps you stuck to a season God's moved on from. Grieving old opportunities as if he can't create another one. Did you hear what I just said, family? Grieving old opportunities as if he cannot create another one. This is the essence of what the prophet Joel, the minor prophet Joel, this is the essence of what he's talking about in Joel 2 when he says God will restore the years. He's talking to people who had lost years of harvest and crops. He wasn't saying you literally going to those crops that are gone. Those crops are gone. But he's saying what God's about to send in this next harvest season is going to be so massive. It's going to be more than the accumulation of all you miss. I'm telling you, you can miss 10 doors. And then this next season, God can open one door. And that one door be so amazing. It makes up for the 10 doors you miss. God still can. God still can. 
Mismanaged opportunities. God still can. Missed windows. God still can. He creates them. I missed the window. He creates windows. I miss my season. He controls them. Isn't that what happened with Peter when he, oh, I'm, I'm, ahead, I'm ahead of my test. Isn't that what happened with Peter when he went fishing? Peter's like, and look, Peter's been fishing all night. Because in those days you're supposed to fish at night. So the fish couldn't see the net. And he caught nothing. In the middle of the day, Jesus said, drop your net for a catch. He's like, this don't make sense. You fish at night, not during the day. But your season is whenever God says it is. She said, if I say drop the net now, it's because I'm getting ready to make the fish bite. If I tell you to apply now, it's because I'm getting ready to make the fish bite. If I tell you to ask now, it's because I'm getting ready to make the fish bite. If I tell you to go now, it's because I'm getting ready to make the fish bite. I'm telling you, I'm not just speaking this conceptually or philosophically. I'm speaking this professionally, pastorally, and experientially. That many people are in their own way when it comes to their, their divine recovery. Because they, we have not taught you how to wrestle with, properly utilize, and then win over this emotion called regret. How to use it as fuel for your future. And if we're going to do this, it takes more than strength, it takes strategy. It takes more than will, it takes skill. And if we're going to win over, wrestle with, and win over regret, there's an essential asset we all need in our spiritual toolbox. It's the only weapon that works against guilt. And it's called grace. Now, please stay with me, okay? When I say grace, I don't, I don't know what you mean, uh, what you think I mean when I say that. I just want to make sure you're clear on what I mean. Because in my experience, many people have had an incomplete, compartmentalized understanding of grace. Are y'all ready for this? In my experience, people limit the efficacy of grace to forgiveness of sin. (laughs) So when they think grace, they think forgiveness. But the writer of Hebrews introduces us to something different. Watch this. Even the the, the apostle Peter calls God's grace manifold. He says the manifold grace of God, the multifaceted grace of God, grace that shows up in many faces, grace that shows up in different ways. And one of the ways grace shows up is not just something, watch this, that cleanses our sin. It also shows up as something that cleans our conscience. I'm in the book. I'm preaching. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience? 
are you here from acts that lead to death that's what the writer says the writer here is comparing the blood of Jesus to the blood of goats and bulls and animals that they sacrificed in the old covenant he says all that did was give you forgiveness all that did was, was cleanse your sin he says what Jesus does is cleanse your conscience And I'm telling you, some people, it's not just a sin problem. That's been handled. That's not in the way of your bounce back. It's a conscious problem. It's not that sometimes the relationship with your child can't be restored. It's just your conscience won't let you move on from the parent you used to be. It's not that it's not that you can't push the marriage to a place where it is healthy and wholesome and filled and helpful for others and filled with happiness and, and bliss. It, it just be it might be that your conscience won't allow you to become the spouse you can be because you're still punishing yourself for the spouse you used to be. Come here, entrepreneurs, leaders, listen to me. Maybe, maybe what you're leading and what you're serving hasn't evolved into what it could be because you're still punishing yourself for being the leader you used to be. Sometimes we in the way of our own recovery. And if you are struggling with this, somebody texted me this morning and told me to tell you their story. They want you to know they sat in the seat you sat in, you sitting in. His name was Peter. Peter texted me this morning. (laughs) And Peter told me to tell you that he said, get out your way. Did you hear what I just said? Okay, somebody's like, who, who Peter? Uh, no, Peter, it's, uh, he didn't really text me. It's a guy in the Bible. He's been dead 2,000 years. Oh, it's a matter, it's all right. Yeah, he told me to tell you, get out your way. See, because I, I, I please want you to, Peter was an apprentice, a mentee, a disciple of Jesus, and the nature of his relationship with Jesus was unique. He was in what? some historians call the inner circle. Now I talk about this in my book, Relational Intelligence, how treating everybody right doesn't mean you treat them the same. That what you owe people is love. You do not owe them intimacy and access. And some people feel entitled to an intimacy and access that their character hadn't earned. Did you hear what I'm sorry? Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, they they, they feel entitled to know things that you're not entitled to know. And because Jesus, come on, let's be objective. He managed the relationship with the inner circle different than he did the other nine. When he went to the garden of Gethsemane, he took Peter, James and John. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John, and he didn't give the other nine an explanation as to why they didn't get to go. 
because everybody is not old an explanation regarding what you're going to do with the life God's holding you responsible for. I go with who I want to go with. I talk to who I want to talk to. Peter is on the inner circle. He saw things others didn't get to see. He approached, he could approach Jesus in ways others couldn't. He had unique information. Peter was close to Jesus. So Peter made promises to Jesus when he wasn't under pressure that he couldn't keep. (laughs) When he was under pressure. Lord, I can't wait till we open our church back up because somebody's going to have to come get me. <laughs> I believe if you don't uh, feel what you're preaching, you shouldn't preach it. If your preaching don't convince you, it's not going to convince anybody else. So excuse me when I get happy on my own preaching. Listen to this. He made promises when he wasn't under pressure that he couldn't keep when he was. When he wasn't under pressure, he told Jesus, Jesus, I'll never betray you. He said, I, I, ain't, I ain't going nowhere. Wow. In Luke 22, 31, watch, Jesus said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I'm not even going to bother that. One text says he desires, but the NIV translators put he asked. Wow. That's something. <laughs> I mean, the same thing he had to do with Job, he had to do with you. He, he asks to sift you as wheat. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith not fail. And when you have turned back, so when you bounce back, Peter hadn't even had the setback yet. And Jesus is talking to him about how to handle the setback before he even has a setback. Y'all better catch this. Y'all missing this. Some people, just, some people are punishing themselves for how you mismanage the setback missing Jesus' confidence in you that you'll turn back. Did you hear what I just said? He told Peter, yeah, you turning back. uh, Yeah, mm -hmm. see, when you run, you're not going to run long. You coming back to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to act out of character for a season, but I know what's in you, and I know you're coming back to me. And sometimes you're punishing yourself about the setback, not knowing Jesus has confidence in you. Oh, they'll turn back. He says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brother. Watch what Peter says in verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. That's what Peter said. Because he wasn't under pressure. However, the text we just read says Peter did the exact opposite. When Peter said this, Jesus said, man, please. He said, before that rooster crow three times, before that rooster crow, you will have denied me three times. But you're still in my inner circle. Because I don't summarize the story of your life by one chapter in your story. Oh. 
that when I obsess, when I assess your life, I assess your life holistically and comprehensively. Now, when people assess your life, they will write a book on your failures and cliff notes on your success. But when God assesses your story, God says, I'm never going to define your whole book by one chapter in the story. Because I see you standing flat-footed on the day of Pentecost and preaching so that 5,000 people come to the faith. I see you being the bishop of the church. I, I see you as a rock. Even though you're temperamental, impulsive, watch this, and lacking self-awareness. See, I want you to catch this. I don't think Peter was lying in verse 33. I think Peter was deceived. I think he meant it. He just didn't know. He had not yet become the kind of person that can keep a commitment under pressure. I'm going to say that one more time. I think he believed he would really go with Jesus to prison of death when he said it. You know how you get, you get hype? You say so. You get emotionally intoxicated with adrenaline. That person you hang out with, they go to sleep all the time. We're about to stay up all night. Somebody come get me. <laughs> Knocked out. Adrenaline. I think he meant it. The reason I think he meant it, I mean, he had proven some degree of commitment because he left his fishing business. So there was some buy-in there. So I think in that moment, he meant it. So I don't think he was dishonest. I think he was deceived. He lacked self-awareness to assess whether or not he was a person that could be trusted to keep his word under pressure. Now, I think that's important to, for us to understand when we're managing our own relationships. Some people tried to deceive you. Other people didn't try to deceive you. They were just deceived about themselves. So when they said they would be something to you, they meant it. They just hadn't objectively assessed themselves to determine whether or not they were the kind of person that could actually keep their word. Are y'all all right? Everybody's good? So God then used this situation with Peter as a revelation uh, to Peter about Peter. Jesus is like, I knew this was in you, but you didn't. Now, this circumstance exposed you to you. Now, we got two options. What are you going to do with it? You know what Peter did initially? The Bible says he left out. You see it. He wept bitterly, grieving. That's regret, right? I mismanaged this. I disappointed Jesus. I disappointed me. He wept bitterly. Do y'all see that? Okay. If you see it, put I see it in the chat. Here it is. Here it is. What happens after that is Peter returns back to the fishing. 
Read the text. He says, I'm going fishing. Yes. <laughs> Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is falsely accused. He's crucified. <laughs> and Peter's going fishing. Because the enemy, remember, God wants to use regret as your education. Enemy wants to use stagnation. So we can take Peter going fishing as a metaphor for Peter going back. Because when you mismanage regret, that's what it'll do. It'll take you back to the boat you stepped out of. Watch this. But what's so dope is, as Peter goes back to go fishing, as Peter goes back to go fishing, don't miss this. The Bible says, Jesus like shows up on the shore. So Jesus meets Peter back close to the boat. Here's my question. Is anybody watching honest enough to say, he met me on my way back? Let me, let me find somebody that was... <laughs> somebody put preach pastor in the chat. Here it is. Has, if you're honest, has Jesus ever interrupted you on your way back? Some people say, I never went back. I'm never going back. But there were some of us who went back and Jesus met you on your way back. Yes. And at that moment, Jesus asked Peter this question. Peter, you love me? He said, yeah, feed my sheep. Peter, you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. I want your service to me to be based out of your love for me, not your sense of your worth. Gosh, are you hearing what I'm saying? He's saying, do you love me? Now use what I gave you then. You love me? Faithfully serve what I, what I love. Jesus knew that guilt turns into embarrassment. Embarrassment turns into shame. And shame would shackle people, Peter, to an old season. So he says, I want your love for me, not your sense of worth, to get you back to where you need to be. And at that moment, Peter received something that we all have to receive if we're going to bounce back from calamities we contributed to, if we're going to win over regret, Peter actually did more than understand the concept of grace. He actually received grace. Watch this. He not only received Jesus' forgiveness, he forgave himself. So I have another question because I could ask you two questions, but I know the answer to the first one. And that is, has God forgiven? I know the answer to that question. That's the most important question. 
But there's another question that's also consequential to your progression. It determines whether or not you actually move forward. And that is, have you forgiven yourself? You might blow money. You're going to have to forgive yourself. You might miss opportunities. You, you have to forgive yourself. You might make more missteps and mishaps. You got to forgive yourself. You may, you may go through a season where there's unwise parenting practices. You got to forgive yourself. You may go through a season where you did not properly steward and appreciate and manage the gifts of relationships that God sent to your life. And you, you took some of those for granted. Maybe some of those people are no longer on earth. Maybe they've transitioned on to the next life. But you got to forgive yourself. Whether or not God forgives, that determines whether or not you go to heaven. Whether or not you forgive you, that determines whether or not you go forward. And today I believe God, by his grace, through his providence, God, by his spirit, wants to break that grip of guilt off your life. And some of us have been wrestling with it so long, it is literally a thinking pattern. The brain's been wired to think that way. And some of us need, I still believe in this, supernatural intervention. Meaning you need God to, well, is there more work to be done? Yes. But you need God to accelerate the work. We need to receive grace. I got some points, but I don't think they matter. Because I want to pray for you to forgive you. To receive this, this gift of grace. You know, I, I've had my foot in a lot of different religious traditions and some people really see this differently. But I'll share this with you. You know, I believe grace is an extension, not an exemption. Grace can be abused, but it can also be insulted. It can be underutilized. And when you understand God's giving you an extension and another opportunity to get it right, you manage that the way Jonah managed his. When Jonah got out of the belly that well, he didn't sit on the shore and say, man, I shouldn't have did that. I just wasted three days. That was so dumb. I'm so stupid. I spent money to get on that boat. I need that money back now. Right. He didn't spend time on the shore. Why? He knew this is an extension. So the Bible says what could have what it should have took him three days. He did in one. Look at me. Look at me. Don't put this in the chat. Don't waste grace. Don't waste grace. You woke up this morning. Don't waste grace. God's giving you another chance. Don't waste grace. Here's the second thing I'm going to tell you. Grace requires grit. Angela Luckworth says grit is passionate and sustained persistence. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. So he's constantly going to try to remind you of your past. 
And so this is why Ellen Hurst says we always need to be re-evangelized with the gospel because the enemy is always going to be trying to remind you of your past. He's going to try to remind you of what you did. And your response to that is to remind him of what Jesus did. It takes persistence. Sometimes it takes time for you to forgive you. But when the devil keeps reminding you about what you did, you remind him about what Jesus did. Because grace is not a result of, grace is a result of God's goodness and and not our own. It's unearned. Y'all get it? You don't deserve it. But grace is God's delivery system, not just for salvation, but for his promises. He says, everything I give you is going to show up with a truck with grace on the outside of it. Even when you thought you had a good week, grace delivered that. The prophet said, in your holy estate, you're filthy rags. So I want to I pray that you forgive you. Maybe the issue isn't moral. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe, maybe there was just a season of your life where you were unwise and it hindered your progress. I'm praying right now you would no longer be tortured by that. That God will set you free from the torment of seasons you can't change the only way to overcome a bad past is to create an amazing future like Joseph to give birth to a Manasseh and say you have made me forget all the pain of my father's house that I gave birth to something in this season that was so beautiful that it made all the past pain seem minuscule I want to pray for you. Wherever you are, if, if you're not driving off you, <laughs> I know some of you are, hey, you got to get it whenever you get it. I understand. But if you're not driving, would you just take a moment and just trying to con- kind of connect with the Father and allow Him, the Holy Spirit, to minister to you? Like I can give you information and revelation. He has to help you with the execution. I'm praying right now in this moment that God will set you free from the torment of your past. Jesus. So, Father, I love you and thank you today that your word says that if your son sets us free, we are free indeed. I pray for that kind of freedom today. Understand that some of your work is incremental. But also know you can accelerate the process. You are Baal Perizim. You are Lord of Breakthrough. That when our head hits walls, when we find ourselves plateauing we were in fences we cannot get out of you go before us and create a way you bring breakthrough and i pray for that today help us to learn the lessons 
and to receive our healing and to move on. We declare the glory of the latter house shall be better than the glory of the former, that the best is yet to come, that you're still the God who restores years. You're the God who controls seasons. They're not controlled by clocks and calendars. They're controlled by your word. And we just declare, we affirm, we say verbally what our heart believes to be true. It is our season to bounce back. And I pray for that for parents. I pray for that for marriages. I pray for that for finances. I pray for that for careers. I pray for that for hearts. I pray for that for relationships. I, I pray for that for churches. I pray for that for companies. I pray for that for hospitals. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Help us to get out of our way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. If you're in the studio, can you put your hands together? Come on. Put, give a hand clap in the chat.